0: Uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about worship is greater than idolatry today, which is perfect that Brian brought up coffee, because my coffee is way over there, and I'm going to test this whole worship versus idolatry thing and, and, not, and not go over there halfway through the service and start drinking my coffee. So um, as Brian said, my name's Mike Duggar. Um, I know a lot of faces out there, but there's a lot of faces I don't know, so I'll give you a little bit of insight into who I am. Um, I got yelled at the first couple services because I was going too far outside of the range here, so I'm going to try to stay in the middle. So just throw something at me if I get too far off the side. Um, So uh, Lucinda, my wife, uh, a lot of you know her. She preached a couple weeks ago, um, and that was an exciting time for her, exciting time for our church to kind of see some different people up here, especially some female people, which is great. Um, So, yep, We 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 can clap and shout out for that. Um, so, Lucinda and I have been married for a number of years, uh, 17, 18 years-ish now. We have four kids, uh, Estella, who's 11, Samuel, who's nine, uh, Alexander, who's seven, and Elliot, who's five. So, we have our hands full on a regular basis, or I should say, Lucinda has her hands full on a regular basis, and I get to go play at the firehouse for 24 hours. So, uh, that launches me into the next part of this is uh, I uh, spend most of my professional life as a firefighter and paramedic um, down in Maryland. I've been doing that for uh, about 14 years now. So, there's a lot of different things that I experience on a regular basis at work that... uh, um, I don't really tell those stories a lot so because some of them are pretty gruesome, some of them are pretty funny, um, but most of the time it's just kind of pointing toward a, a part of society that's kind of sad. Um, so anyway, uh, so as we get started today, I want to tell you a little story about uh, a training event uh, that I was able to take part of. Um, I applied to a position with the Maryland Task Force One. It's an urban search and rescue team It uh, operates out of Maryland. Um, they respond to things like building collapses, like what happened down in Florida. Um, also, uh, things like the Pentagon, 9-11. Um, so, part of that training package was to give us a, uh, a picture of water training, right? To give us a healthy appreciation of the water. So, I'm not much of a swimmer. As you can see, I'm pretty dense. Um, there's a lot of muscle, there's a lot of fat, um, and maybe I just have heavy bones, but I don't, uh, I don't float very well. I was that kid younger that, that wore husky jeans. So I still wear husky jeans. It's just my thing. Um, and I'm okay with that. So part of this, part of this training exercise was to give us a healthy appreciation for the water. I didn't know what that meant at the time. So. Whatever, it's the fire department. So they say, get in the bus, follow directions, and let's go to the river. So the river uh, was in the northern part of Maryland, a place called the Flume. The Flume was built for Olympic kayakers to train for the 92 Olympic team. So Olympics is going on now, right? And you see the kayakers trying to navigate this crazy flow of the river, right? Well, we were supposed to jump into that river, but we didn't have any boats on the top of the van as we were traveling down. So we didn't know what to expect. So we get there, our instructor kind of walks us through putting on this, all the stuff we need to put on, the wetsuits and the flotation devices and our helmets. And we still were curious as to what we were actually doing there. So then he leads us up to the river's edge and that's when we realized, oh, this is, this is an exercise to kill a few of our classmates off, right? <laughs> what we didn't know is maybe there was only a few spots on the team and this was the thing that was weeding us out. So, the instructor, he was about maybe 15 years my senior, he had a, uh, almost looked like a flak jacket on for a, a flotation device, real thin, and he starts explaining to us the parameters of this so-called training. Um, and he tells us, hey, we're going to jump in the water, and we are going to have our eyes pointed downriver, our feet pointed downriver, and we're going to be looking out for things called eddies. Does everybody know what an eddy is? Eddy's part of the river that uh, basically flows back upstream behind a rock. So it's kind of a safe zone. So he said, our purpose here is to be able to float down the river, eye some of these safe zones out, and then swim as hard as you can into the eddies and then maneuver down the river safely. So the goal wasn't just getting down to the end. The goal is to be able to swim back upriver. So he's explaining all this stuff to us on the shore. Now, I'm getting excited. I'm like, I can do this, right? I love a good challenge, so I'm like, I can, I can jump in here and I can do this. And I don't see fear on any of my classmates' faces, so therefore I can't have any either, right, because we're all firemen. We have to, yeah, we can do this. We got this. This should be fine. So then the instructor, he jumps in the water, and now he's explaining the whole process while he's swimming in the water. Now I'm thinking, well, if this guy, he's 15 years older than me, he can do it. I sure am going to be able to do this as well. So he said, okay guys, now now it's time to jump in. Now these are class three, class four rapids, no kayak. So he says, okay, you're gonna jump in. So here I am, I get to the edge. Some of my classmates already went and they lived, right? So it should be fine. So I'm on the shore and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And they're like, go Mike, go, okay, okay. And then I make that step. I jump in the water and then I disappear right? And when everybody knows about fast water, as soon as you jump in and you go underwater, you pop back up 50, 60 feet down the way, right? And when I popped up, I wasn't looking for eddies. I wasn't looking for safe zones. I was looking for anybody to pull me out of that river as fast as possible. Because for me, it was was chaos. As soon as my head went underwater, all the plans, all the training, everything that I had been told that I should have done at that point, gone, right? Like most of us. So, as we're talking through this Living Counter series, um, I kind of want to uh, think about this whole thing as a river, right? When we are living counter to the culture, the culture's flowing in, in a pathway, and we can't stay on the shore. We can't stay on the shore. We have to jump in and engage Right? Because we're bringing the light of Christ with us us as apprentices of Jesus. We need to be able to jump in and engage the culture and be able to swim upstream. Because that not only is what we're called to do, but it also is the thing that's going to help others that are also caught in the flow of the river. They're going to say, well, wait a minute. Well, Kevin's able to swim upstream, Tim's able to swim upstream. What What do they have that I don't? Right? They start to recognize those things in us, they start recognizing the Jesus in us that's allowing us to work ourselves upstream in a culture that's destined to destroy itself. So, is staying on shore an option? Can we stay on shore? No, we can't, we have to jump in, we have to be able to engage those things in and around us. We have to be able to step up and step into that living counter to the world, right? The world expects us to do that we should be, have anticipation to be able to jump into that with that same expectation. We're gonna jump in knowing that God's gonna protect us, God's going to steer us, and the Holy Spirit's gonna guide us. So, when we get to a hard choice, it really matters which way we turn, doesn't it? Every choice we make, whether we turn towards worship or idolatry, it matters, right? So, are we turning towards life or death? Are we turning towards holiness or are we turning towards sin? Are we turning towards being an apprentice of Jesus or a lover of the world? Are we turning towards worship or are we turning to our idolatry? Idolatry must be, has to be, is greater than idolatry, right? Worship has to be greater than idolatry. I'm going to have Bill come up and read our… I was going to joke and have him switch the reading just to see if he could ad lib it, I won't.
1: <laughs> Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters for either he will love the one and hate the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
0: Thanks, Bill. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Scripture tells us that it's not going to return void. We thank you that it has power, has weight in our lives. It corrects us. It um, encourages us. It steers us in the right direction, Lord. So I pray for the hearing of our word today, Lord, that uh, it would sink into our hearts and be able to be used um, by each one of us, Lord, that you would just remove barriers from our hearts to be able to hear your word today and to be able to put those things into practice this week. Um, And even today, Lord, as we're sitting here. So if there's anything that's blocking us from, uh, from hearing you or understanding you or following you, I just pray that you would just remove those things, help our hearts to be open, and just give us a time that we can worship and I just uh, lift all this up to you. We thank you for this time together, and we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the series we're in, Living Counter, um, there's been a couple messages I just want to kind of remind us as we're thinking through today's worship is greater than idolatry. There's a couple uh, uh, topics we've talked about over the past couple weeks that we've been praying through, and you've heard from, from the pulpit here. Uh, this is greater than that. Truth is greater than lies. Commitment greater than preference. Love is greater than hate. Celebration, greater than cynicism. Hospitality is greater than fear. And today we're going to wrestle through this idea of worship is greater than idolatry. So as I was preparing over the past couple weeks, uh, Brian gave us this message or uh, these, these topics several weeks ago. And uh, to my detriment, I've just been kind of wrestling through this over the past several weeks. It's been good, but it's also been a lot of time to focus on one thing and my brain doesn't work that way sometimes. So Anyway, this is what you get. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I kept thinking about these two words, worship and idolatry, and I kept coming to this image in my mind of a crossroads, right? It's pretty simple, simplistic for me. I'm a fireman, so just keep that, keep that in your head. So I just needed something very simple to, to think about. So when I was looking at worship versus, or greater than idolatry, I just kept thinking of a crossroads. Do I turn left toward worship, or do I turn right towards idolatry? Is it simple? Is it is it as simple as that though just making a pointing our hearts toward a direction either way pointing it towards worship or idolatry I think there's a little bit more to it right the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the Spirit directing us but you see the more we are inclined to press into matters of worship right and holiness guess what the less likely we are to press into matters of idolatry isn't that true Isn't the flip side also true? The more likely we are to press into, or the more we're pressing into idolatry, the more likely we are to not press into worship. So we have to make a choice, right? It comes down to choices. Every single day we make thousands of choices, and those choices either turn our hearts worshipfully toward a God that has created all things and loves us, or we make that choice to turn our hearts towards idolatry and away from Him. Amen? So, getting back to the text of Matthew, uh, this part of Matthew chapter 6 that we just read, these three parts... Um are kind of a bigger part of a series in Matthew from chapters 5 through 7, which talks about the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, as many of you know, um, and as some of you don't, we'll just kind of briefly outline it. Um, it's kind of a part where Jesus is calling out the hypocrites of the day. He's calling out the hearts of the people. He's speaking directly to the disciples, his disciples that were directly following him, whether it's the 12 or a few more um, you can kind of go back and forth with that. But there's all these other people around gathered on the hill and they're also listening too. So it's much like a today's church service, right? We have people that are coming into the streets, don't know anything about Jesus. And then we have people that are, that are solely devoted to Christ, right? And they're, they're choosing that's the way that they want to live. So it's kind of a nice picture of what we would look at as a modern church service. But what's interesting there is all of the little parts in Matthew that are talked about leading up to Matthew 6 are little segments. They seem a little disjointed, but they're all little segments that point to ways that the heart turns away from God and turns towards things that are focused on destruction. So... A couple of things when Bill was reading, I was thinking about uh, from these uh, three verses, a theme that just kept resonating with me as I was kind of contemplating these and praying through um, was this issue of the heart. So from these three verses, we, we hear that Jesus is saying, we shouldn't store up treasures on earth, that we should keep our eyes healthy and that money can be our master. So what is he saying? Do, they, do all these three points have something in common? What do you think? What's the thing that helps us make those decisions, right? Our heart. Our heart's the thing that ends up helping us make those decisions, whether we are going to draw toward treasuring things of the earth or treasuring things of heaven, that we're going to let money master us or we're going to let God be the master and everything else falls in line according to our faith, right? So the heart then becomes a pivot point for our choice-making, doesn't it? So let's look at these verses about heart health, right? They're not going to talk about treadmills or running or doing good cardio, all right? It's it's in the Bible, so I've never read of a treadmill in the Bible, but… Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, let me ask you this. So, if the heart is focused on godly things, the mouth speaks, Right? The mouth should be speaking godly things, right? Because our hearts are focused on God. But what happens when our hearts are not focused on God and they're focused on evil things? Like the verse is saying. Evil things, right? So heart health becomes a huge role in how we understand which way to turn when we're looking at idolatry versus worship. Jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it Isn't that crazy deceitful our hearts are deceitful Do our hearts always want to seek after that which is selfish I mean, let's be honest. I think, that's, I think that's true in most of our cases. Our heart always wants to seek after the things that are easy. Our heart wants to seek after things that are selfish, that are not of the things of God, right? Because we're living in a fallen world, so our heart is always going to seek after evil if it's left unchecked, right? So how do we keep our hearts in check? So over this uh, uh, next uh, four hours, Brian, four? Four, four. <clears throat> which is good because I have four points, so each is going to take about an hour. Uh, Kids Ministry, they know this. So they're bringing lunch for your kids. It's okay. Uh, We're going to talk about the truth about treasure, the truth about darkness, the true master, and the turnaround. The truth about treasure. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if we work backwards in this verse, our heart will be where our treasure is, right? Or in what we treasure? Should be, right? So, if we're worshiping God, the Father of heaven, the creator of all things, then that's where our heart should be, right? And the converse is true. As we move away from that, we're starting to then do what? We're starting to treasure things that aren't things that God wants us to treasure. So, what happens when I start to treasure the flows of the culture around me? And I start to blend into the flows of the culture around me? The flows of idolatry, the flows of earthliness. What happens? I start to treasure things like money. Start to treasure things like sex, anger, greed, lust, addiction. The list goes on and on and on and on. And guess what? My heart then ends up at a place so far from heavenly treasure that it seems almost impossible to turn around towards seeking after godly treasure, doesn't it? In some cases, that's... I I mean, if I'm honest, I I feel like that's just a struggle that we all deal with on a regular basis. Um, So does worship then play a part in helping us turn back towards worship, if I can say it that way, right? Well, what is worship? It's a word, good. Starts with a W, good. Ends with a P, good. No, it's more than that, right? Our worship is a response. It's a response to the fact that God is the creator of all things, right? He has created each one of us. He's made everything. Um, things of the world. He's created all that we see and all that we do. So, we should be pointing our worship back to Him because it's a response for all He's done and ever will do. So, if we have that going into every situation, then we're going to be able to make those decisions towards worship a lot easier than we will towards turning our hearts towards idolatry. So, Isaiah, I just want to give you a glimpse of uh, two passages, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Uh, The Old Testament one is about how the angels worship. Um, Isaiah 6, 3 says, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If this is how the angels are worshiping the Lord, are we doing the same thing when we when we offer praise and worship to the Lord? Because I think sometimes we find ourselves saying stuff like, holy, holy, holy is the Pittsburgh Steelers or fill in the blank, right? We put anything else in there because we start to elevate those things greater than what God has intention, which is lifting Him up to be greater than all things. Are we treasuring God in worship, or are we treasuring the stuff of idolatry? 1 Timothy six sixteen says, Who alone has immortality? Who dwells in unapproachable light? Whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Think about that for a minute. He dwells in unapproachable light. Does the stuff of idolatry dwell in unapproachable light? Does our money, bank account, our 401ks, our pensions, uh, all the things that we start to put stock in and weight in, do those things dwell in unapproachable light? They can all be burned up, right? Moths and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But the things of God, if we're truly treasuring Him and we're looking at the fact that He dwells in unapproachable light, He is the only thing that demands our full attention. He's the only thing, but yet what do we do? We live contrary to that almost on a daily or hourly basis. I know I do. I mean, I'm great when I leave Sunday here and I go through those doors and then I have to deal with the world or I have to go back to the firehouse and deal with five other guys with five varying opinions and Tim knows, Tim's shaking his head, yep, that's right. Uh, it's, It's tough, it's tough to be able to maintain that light of Jesus and maintain those areas about treasure and truth when you're confronted with the world. But we still have to jump in and we still have to engage the world around us, right? We still have to live counter. Francis Chan and his book, Crazy Love, uh, if you haven't read that, give it a read. Um, I think there's parts of that book that will change how you kind of see and how you apply things to your life. Um, He says, God will not be tolerated. He instructs us to worship and fear Him. In our world where hundreds of things distract us from God, we have to intentionally and consistently remind ourselves of Him. So what's Francis saying here? He's saying that we have to be intentional. We have to be obedient. We have to have commitment to the Lord. And we have to jump in and engage things in and around us because that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus wants us to do right? Sometimes I think we forget the fact that we call the Lord of our lives, right? We call Jesus the Lord of our lives, but then we forget the fact that He's also the Lord of our finances. He's the Lord of our jobs. He's the Lord of every aspect of our lives, our minds, our brains, our bodies. He's the Lord of all of those different things. So, when we say Jesus is the Lord of our life, and we're going to live intentionally toward Him with a heart pointed toward worship— We have to take all that comes with it, which means every aspect of us and how he's created us belongs to the Father, which is freeing, and it's awesome. The truth about darkness. So what happens when idolatry starts to steal our gaze away from God and away from worship? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, I'm sorry, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? A lot of you remember that song that we sang to our kids when we were younger or heard this when you were younger as a kid, but be careful little eyes what you see. Remember that song? Somebody want to sing it for me for those who don't know? No, I didn't have any takers. Yes! He got it. Right. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little mouth what you say. It's all about teaching our kids ways that we can engage the world around us, right? Whether you know it or not, you're teaching your kids, hey, there are certain things that God expects us to say no to. And there are certain things that God is expecting us to say yes to, right? Right? But what happens when we get older? We sing that to our kids. Oh, hey, Johnny, you got to do this. You got to be this way. You got to think this way. And then when we grow up, do we do the same thing? Do we not watch what's going into our minds and what's going into our bodies and our hearts and our eyes? And it becomes harder, right? It becomes harder. And we let ourselves be mastered by some of those things. And we let the darkness start to creep in. So when we are mastered... By something, we have no choice but to let the darkness in, right? Because we're choosing, we're choosing to head down that road toward idolatry, and guess what? Stuff starts creeping in. And it's hard to not let that stuff just snowball into something greater. You see, what happens when you start to go into a dark room? No lights in that dark room. It's hard to see at first, right? But then what happens? Your eyes adjust. You start becoming accustomed to it. And the same thing happens when we start to let sin and darkness creep into our lives. It becomes easier then to justify some of these things because this is, this is what we're seeing. This is how we're seeing things on a regular basis. But how, what changes that darkness? Just the smallest amount of light. A simple match in that room can turn, turn the tides on that entire situation, right? It can light up an entire room, the smallest amount of light. At 10.30 at night, bells rang at the firehouse. All six of us ran to the fire truck and the ambulance, and we uh, head down the road to a a, a well-known address uh, just a few blocks from the firehouse. It was, uh, address was recognized. It was one of our frequent flyers, uh, a heroin user. Um, He's addicted to heroin, addicted to opioid pain medication. And every maybe six weeks, we'd end up uh, running him for a heroin overdose. Um, Progressively getting worse every single time, Depends on the batch of heroin that's rolling through that area at the time, but uh, it gets progressively more difficult to try to wake some of these folks up out of their, out of their addiction. So, uh, for the sake of the conversation, we'll call this gentleman Dre. Dre's a 31-year-old man, still lives at home with his mom and uh, his brother. Mom was downstairs, brother down the hall. They found him unresponsive in his bedroom, breathing a couple times a minute. Uh, So, we do what we do and go in and give him some artificial respirations with a, uh, a little bag that we use and pumped him full of medication and presto, we got him back. We did our hero work as firefighters. So... Dre's a tough case because at some point, we're not going to be there to be able to help get him back to the side of the living, right? We're going to be too late or he's going to take too much. Um, the point of the story that I'm telling is that it's not about Dre. It's not about drug use, but it's about letting the darkness in, right? Because for Dre, that darkness had a start, that darkness had a start, and whether it started as a small little thing, like a little snowflake that hit the ground, and the next thing you know, that thing is turning and turning and turning, and now it's a giant avalanche, giant snowball that destroys stuff, but that darkness had a start. So, do we have things in our lives that are little like that, that can turn us away from worship and turn us toward idolatry, right? We have to be vigilant to be able to separate those things and say, is this... Is this the start of a a darkness in my life that I need to be able to grab a hold of and throw out? You see, it doesn't take much to change the trajectory. Every single service I've had a hard time making that transition. True true true. It's probably it's lack of coffee, that's what it is. It doesn't take much to change the trajectory of our lives. Because we could be solely focused on the Lord, and it only takes one little thing, like I said, that little speck of darkness, and then we're off path just a little bit. But as Brian pointed out at the, at the end of last service, it only takes a little bit to get us back on track too, doesn't it? Right? Because we don't wake up one morning and say, oh my goodness, like, I'm super, super off track. No. It's just one little step at a time toward idolatry, one little more step toward evil, one little more step toward selfishness and personal desires, and then we're far away. It's never the thing that just happens overnight. It's a gradual thing that turns our hearts away from God. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to be described by somebody Who seeks after darkness or described as somebody who seeks after the light? Right. We want to be somebody who's described by holiness, by by worshipful state. We don't want to head down that road toward darkness and towards idolatry. Because the thing is, it doesn't take much to get us back on track. But whether... It's important if we need that, because we do need that, but guess what? The culture around us needs it even more, doesn't it? And we might be the only thing that enters light into their situation to be able to have them turn from darkness to light. So, we need to think about that as we, as we go through and, and, and interact with our neighbors and our co-workers. The third point, the true master. No one can serve two masters, for he for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So, this passage is just not about money, right? It's about things that master us. So, what things, what things master us? Shout it out. Selfishness, okay. Anybody else? Image, Image good. Kids, Kids right family wealth prosperity career success image romance safety and security anybody turn the tv on lately brian talked about 18 months of covid 18 months of chaos in the world around us you see that every single time you turn the tv on whether you're turning on one news channel or another you're seeing this huge breath of things that are that are wrong in the world right things that if we let those things into our minds and hearts as believers guess what We start to go down the flow of the culture. Next thing you know, we're letting all that stuff dictate how we make choices and less likely to let God help us make those choices. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, talks about millions call themselves by his name. It's true, and pay some token homage to him. But a simple test will show you how little he is really honored among them. Let the average man be put to the proof on the question of who or what is above, and his true position will be exposed. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, between God and men, between God and personal ambition, God and self, God and human love, and God will take second place every time. Those other things will be exalted above. However the man may protest, the proof is in the choice he makes day after day throughout his life. God will take second place every time. I know we read it out loud, but can you see yourself saying this out loud? Right? We don't see us saying that out loud, but guess what? Our choices say that every single day that we make a choice to turn away from him and turn toward things of the world. So every every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else, right? And thousands of choices we make daily can either draw us closer to God or push us further away from him. About 10 years ago, uh, Lucinda and I, we lived down in the D.C. metro area uh, I was still a firefighter early in my career, and Lucinda had been training for years uh, undergrad, master's degree, all in nonprofit management. So she had the job of her dreams doing nonprofit management, uh, a lot of policy work on, on the Hill in D.C. So she had a great job, great pay, um, and then God called her. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, God called her. Uh, we had two kids at a time, but God was calling her to stay home with the two kids. We had another one on the way. Um, I'm not sure how that happened, but... Uh, so anyway, uh, God called her to stay at home. So that was tough. That was, that was tough because at the time, as a lowly firefighter, I wasn't making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm still not. Um, but Lucinda was making a great salary for us to live in that area, right? So giving that up would have been 70% of our income, Pugh gone, right? So, how are we going to feed all these kids that God's given us? How are we going to, you know, how are we going to live? Put food on the table. Like, all these things were questions that we started to ask ourselves, right? And we started to contemplate, well, yeah, well, God loves us, sure, but He's asking us to put ourselves in a situation where now we don't have any money to live. Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? What were we doing, what were we doing? We were starting to master the things of the world, right? we were starting to say, okay, Lord, well, look at this money. Like, you're going to ask us to give up all this money? That doesn't make any sense. So, right before Lucinda finally put the the notice in to quit, it took her about two years uh, of her wrestling and us kind of talking through this, and uh, I was probably the one that caused the most trouble in that situation, as always. Um, But... It took her two years, and finally she did it. Finally, she put her notice in. But just before she put her notice in, you know what happened? Somebody, somebody can tell me when I heard it. She got a huge raise. Her boss gave her this ginormous raise. I know ginormous is not a word, but I'm using it. Uh, ginormous raise that couldn't really be ignored from an earthly perspective. We're like, ooh, maybe we need to stay. Maybe you didn't hear God as closely as you thought. And maybe we need to take this money and pay off student loans and buy a new car and, you know, whatever, right? Money was the thing that Satan was using at that time to turn our hearts away from God, right? Because if we heard a clear calling from the Lord saying, step out in this way, and we chose not to do it, what are we doing? We're making a choice not to follow the Lord. We're making a choice pointed towards idolatry and less towards worship. Now, would God have loved us if we had taken the money? Sure. We didn't take the money, by the way. It was a long road of, of poorness that we went down. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, we lived very richly because God provided. Um, but sure, he would have loved us, but we would have missed out if we had taken that money. We would have missed out on a huge blessing that he had for us, a huge plan that he already had put in place of moving us up here and, uh, just doing things in our, our spiritual lives that we weren't able to do where we were. So, it was just an amazing opportunity for us to just say, okay, Lord, we're going to trust this. And from the earthly standpoint, it didn't make any sense losing 70% of our income. But that's what he wanted. You see, simply knowing the truth is not living the truth, right? We knew we had to do the right thing, but guess what? We could have easily chosen not to, but we chose to, to, if I can say that. And we did. We did. And he honored that, which is awesome. Point four, the turnaround. So what happens when we find ourselves caught in the flow of the culture around us and we become looking like the culture around us, making decisions like the culture makes towards idolatry and less towards worship? What happens? What do we do? Do we continue in that? What happens when we... When we see sin and we fall short and we stumble in our own lives, what happened? What do we do? Keep going in it? Press into idolatry and, and follow the flow of idolatry until it, it crashes. And then we say, oh, man, that wasn't the right way. No. So what do we do? We stop. We turn around. We fervently press in to God again right? Because we have a loving Father, a Father that loves us and cares for us. And when we make those decisions, because not a single one of us is not exempt from a wayward heart here, right? We all fall short on a daily basis sometimes. But it's in our reaction and turning away from that and saying, Lord, I screwed up. Help me. Lead me by the hand, just like a loving Father does, back to you and back to an understanding of, of holiness, And get me that heart of of a response to worship again. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. Isn't that awesome to think about? That God's going to lead us out of our sin when we repent and He's going to lead us to times of refreshing. That's great. That's, That's an awesome thing. But how do we get ready for those things? How do we... Stand ready on a daily basis. Um, Dr. Tony Evans in a, in, in a book he wrote a couple of years ago um, talked about he wanted to be the type of guy that when he woke up in the morning and put his feet on the floor that the devil would say, oh man, Tony Evans is up. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I laughed when I read that. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Right? But that's the amount of readiness that we need to have every single day when we get out of bed. We need to step forward and say, That's right. I'm ready to start this day. I'm ready to enter in what God has for me, and I'm ready to step towards ideas of worship over idolatry. We're not going to do it in our own strength. We only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we wake up every single morning with anticipation that the Spirit's going to work, that's our true power. So Ephesians 6 Uh, A couple couple verses to talk about how we can prepare ourselves for readiness. Ephesians 6.11 talks about putting on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes, right? Another verse, another story that we kind of uh, front load into our kid's psyche when they're younger um, to be able to help them understand that, hey, we need to wake up and be ready for everything that God has for us and everything that the devil's going to try to throw at us throughout the day. But what happens when we start to age? We forget all these things, don't we? We say, oh, well, the Lord's going to love me no matter what. Well, sure, he is. But we still need to stand ready. So how do we wake up every morning and put on the full armor of God? So I want to encourage everyone as they wake up tomorrow, do that. Just walk through the full armor of God and say, hey, I'm going to put these things on. I'm going to stand ready and walk in step with the Holy Spirit, as Scripture says. A couple other verses I want to uh, read to you as far as uh, vigilance and fervor. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And Matthew five twenty nine, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. So it's pretty grotesque imagery if you think about it right? We're having to put to death things in our our life, and we're having to tear out our eyes. Now, I'm not saying go get a knife and cut your eye out, but you understand the point. The point is that it doesn't take much to let things into our eye to start to add darkness into our life, or to start to turn our hearts toward treasuring things of the world instead of things of heaven, right? And let things master us. So, we need to be vigilant. We need to take a ready stand and we need to have that fervor to be able to say, I'm going to put to death these things, right? I'm not going to let them in my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to be able to jump into the culture around me and be able to be that light, but I'm not going to let these things penetrate me and change my heart away from the Lord's heart. So we need to be able to thrive while going upstream. So in closing, what takes up your time? What drives you? What do you direct your attention to, your heart to, your eyes to? What's mastering you? Are you living counter to the culture? Am I? Are you willing to step into that culture, jump in, and be the light that Jesus expects us to be? Because there's a whole host of people around each one of us, people we know from work, people we know in our neighborhoods that are desperately in need of Christ. They're in desperate need of a relationship. They're in desperate need of light. And we can, we can be that light for them. So, Lord, I thank you for our time together, Lord. I pray that you would just be with each one of us as we've kind of just talked through some of your truths and give us ways that we can uh, make choices that are pointing toward worship and less toward idolatry, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just anoint each one this week as we go out from this place and be able to serve you and be the light, not only in our own lives, Lord, and our families, but to those around us. Help us to jump in. And Lord, I just thank you for this day and I pray that you would just uh, uh, give us a good rest of the day, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.